0: Welcome to Data Remediations, a podcast connecting environmental data with people and places through stories and art.
1: Welcome to the latest episode of Data Remediations. I'm Danny Cooper. I'm a climate storytelling intern working at the Penn Program in Environmental Humanities in Philadelphia. For this episode of The Pod, we're heading north to New York City to talk with our podcast co-host, who's also head of the Data Storytelling Team in New York. Dr. Patricia Kim has been working with New York-based artists, exploring practices that attune human senses and our bodies to the changing climate.
2: So much, Danny. It's really nice to speak to you about this topic, my research, and the Sensing with the Body project that we've been developing here in New York City.
1: Sensing with the Body, the project spearheaded by Dr. Kim, explores how human beings come to produce, know, and circulate climate and environmental data through performance throughout New York City. In this episode, we'll listen in on conversations Patricia had with Clarinda McLough and Carolyn Hall. They developed a participatory performance, Sung Shore, in New York City.
0: I'm Clarinda McLough and I am an artist and also have been trained and practiced in the sciences, mostly within the medical field. I tend to create situations that involve a lot of people in a variety of ways. That has included dance and performance, but also creating organizations and experiments in institution. My most recent experiment in institution is with six or seven other people. It's called Works on Water.
2: And I'm Carolyn Hall. I'm a professional dancer. I am also a marine ecologist that focuses on historical research. So that means that I like looking at how ecosystems in water environments have changed and been impacted by human activity. I am also with Clorinda in Works on Water. And as an artist, but also I consider myself a researcher in residence with them. And I really like trying to get scientists in to talk to the artists to sort of connect those worlds more. That's my current passion.
1: Dr. Kim was drawn to Sung Shore because it provides an exemplary model for public engagement and collective action, exploring what climate change could do to New York City's shorelines through participatory walks and movements. The project that they're referencing in the context of Works on Water is called Sunk Shore, a participatory performance that Clorinda and Carolyn co-created and debuted at the first Works on Water triennial in 2017.
2: Sunk Shore is taking very specific data, very local and site-based data, on what will happen with climate change. So from using climate change models, And taking that data, which can be overwhelming, which can be loaded with technical language and jargon that the typical everyday person who might be curious or might be fearful can't get anything from. And trying to make that a visceral understanding by putting them in the place, by reimagining what the place will look like as you time travel into the future, which we do. We make a few jumps into the future. But we preface all that with an experiential, brief summary of conditions from the past, which is where my love of history comes in, and where we are at in the present. So, how, what was the shoreline in the past? How is it being used indigenously? How was it changed by colonists? And then, how has it changed as it's become an incredibly busy metropolitan urban area? using that data, we start to project what it could be like. Now this is where our speculative fiction, our interpretation, our choices of the future come in. But they're all based on fact. They're all based on data. Fact meaning based on the best information we have about where we've come from climate-wise and place-wise, and projecting with very specific models that are using all those different ingredients to say, if if the temperature rises this much, how much will the water rise? What will happen to plants and trees? What will happen to insects? What will happen to our shorelines? So we use that information. And we make people do things. (laughs) We make people wear or interact with props that can actually physically enable them to imagine what it might be like to have to always wear protective gear on your legs because of the water or to have to be, be able to get in and out of boats and be educated in what it is to have to have a watercraft in your life all the time or what it is to deal with water filtration on different levels because fresh water will be a very lacking resource.
0: My creating performance, I have always worked with what I call ha ha ho. Especially with Americans, there's a way in through laughter. And people relax when they laugh, when they're having a little bit of fun, and it allows in other states that might be again, I feel like this is very related to North American ways of being, but they want to reject the the difficult the depressing the the non-optimistic so through the lightness you're actually able to give people a space to contemplate the difficulty even though and they're right in it and and people are resistant and they are upset and it is not an entirely fun experience at all <laughs> but there's a way to kind of finesse the lightness and through the lightness it's like it's like a Trojan horse Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you bring mm -hmm. in difficult information through a kind of they're like oh they're kind of silly what are they doing with those silly props oh and that happens and I think that that is an important way of, of like that's kind of how working physically actually is able to communicate in a different way because it's, it's not familiar, it's not a lecture, it's not purely verbal. And so your body actually can open to the information in a different way.
1: Sang Shore's performances take place on hyper-local strips of New York City, shorelines that are no longer than a mile. In other words, the movements of one performance cannot be replicated in any other context. This particular model of engagement emphasizes the ephemerality of performance as such, and also the importance of being present in your body, in a specific place and a specific time. The sensory data you collect is completely singular.
0: of what we might call performativity. It is more generative, because no matter what kind of performance you're doing, you have to be so physically engaged. And this is for performers, people who like to do this, you have to be so present in your body that that in itself is a real, it's always a core of comfort that I have found, and that's why I was originally drawn to dance, was that you had to be completely present in the moment in your body. The affect, the way we perform, it is very matter-of-fact. We're not like, woo, we're
3: going (laughs) into the
0: future. We're very like, okay, we're going to go to 2100 now. Everybody ready? Okay, here we are, 2100. And that seems perfectly natural but obviously that's a performance and I think that's an important part of it is using the facts matter-of-factly to create a situation which is realistic but seems totally crazy at the same time. That we have to be absolutely present and absolutely committed to the moment otherwise nobody else is going to believe us.
1: Performance is thus provocative for at least two reasons here. First, it allows participants to cultivate their sense of imagining a future scenario of a place through the body. And yet, moving and acting out such scenarios creates a sense of disbelief, even madness. To understand performance as a particular kind of narrative art, Dr. Kim also spoke to Professor Una Chowdhury they talk about how performance arts can help us sense various climate scenarios before they happen.
3: Well, it's a pleasure to introduce myself. My name is Yuna Chowdhury, and I'm a professor of English, Drama, and Environmental Studies here at New York University. And I'm a director of XE, Experimental Humanities and Social Engagement, which is a graduate interdisciplinary program in the Faculty of Arts and Science at NYU, theater is a you know is an art form of telling meaningful accounts of planetary existence, earthly existence that uses the medium of reality, that uses bodies and voices and spaces and time and uh, sound and it takes those and is able to transmute them through fiction into possibilities. So theatre is a really great space from which to imagine other worlds, other ways of living in this world. Oh, the work I do tries to explore how the very nature of of theatre, the way theatre tells stories, can be turned towards, pushed towards, Constantly reminding us that we live, you know, in bodies in space on a planet, and that that's very interesting and very exciting. That's not just something to be bothered by or frightened by, but it could also become something to be totally fascinated by and absolutely delight in if we can break the sociocentric frame within which most theater has been.
1: In other words, new possibilities require speculative storytelling and the body is just one medium and tool that can help create compelling narratives of how our future worlds might look and feel.
2: I don't think we can talk about the future without speculation. We don't actually know exactly what's going to happen and every place on the planet is going to have a different reaction from the same conditions based on its history, based on its use, based on the life that's there, based on the ecologies. So in order to um, give a clear, concrete example of a future, we have to make choices. And we have to make choices that we believe are truly possible. They could be on a fairly minor scale or they could be huge transitions. We usually go for somewhere in the middle. So the speculative fiction, the storytelling instead of saying these conditions might happen and it could be from this to this and it could be da 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 da, like that's too much information. That doesn't give someone a place to land. It doesn't give place someone a place to experience an actual sensation, right? So in order to give a condition that someone can feel and process. You have to make it clear. So we choose, based on the modeling data that we were talking about earlier, we choose potential true futures that we can place in that along that shoreline affecting the people who live there, affecting the other lives, the plants, the animals, the condition of the air, the insects, the structures that are there, how will they be affected, how will they might be adapted or gone. We imagine and decide that fiction so that people going on that walk with us can have at least that concrete experience of of a potential future. And they can sense it and they can live it and they can see it in their mind and through the experience.
0: I think that it is this question and it took me a while to figure out that we were storytelling.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Honestly. We build a narrative. Yeah, we build a narrative. We build a script. It's a story. I'm someone who is and I think you too we've read a lot of speculative fiction, like throughout my entire life.
2: Science I'm, fiction, fiction. Yeah, science fiction. fiction
0: mm-hmm. Like all of the like the the range I'm gonna call speculative. And it's and that extrapolation from present conditions and creating a story around that, I think that's just really pleasurable for us too. And and that, that puzzle of putting together something that is simple enough to feel in your body and at the same time accurate, like that's the work. That's what's exhausting. Yeah. Like we have to go over and over and then cut things out and edit and go back and add things in and cut another thing out. And then, you know, and that is all, that building of this funny puzzle that is both accurate and embodied is a really interesting exercise in storytelling because it, when we think of storytelling, I think it's often considered kind of orally, but this is a participatory story. Mm-hmm. Like we have to build, like, it's like a, build your own adventure, kind Mm -hmm. of, but not really. Mm -hmm. And the the sight is part of it. Yeah, and the sight, and so that, yes, and space and sight and sensation of the sight is so much part, like, it's telling the story, too. It's a character. It's it's our partner. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that is actually a really important point, yes, that, like, the fiction comes from all these elements that are verbal, nonverbal, sensory space related politically related like in terms of the politics of the place and Mm -hmm. the space and what we can get away with and what we can't get away with those are all parts Mm -hmm. of this puzzle Mm -hmm. and I think that having our bodies in the space as part of building this story is the only way to build the story so there would be no story without our bodies there and without the other bodies with us like that this exists as a script but that's not what's interesting that's just like a coat hanger so having the bodies in the space with us the other people is what makes it a thing so it doesn't exist only as as a fiction it it exists only as embodied fiction
1: But sunk shore isn't just about human bodies.
2: And also trying to have the understanding of, a, of that liminal land to water. Understand that you know we're all mostly more familiar with the land ways of living life. But there is water living life. And we are dependent upon it and they are dependent upon us. And so we actually coexist in that liminal space. And that's often forgotten. So we include, because I'm marine ecology is my my love. We include a lot about what's going on in the water, also, and how it's affecting the life in the water.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's what is exciting is like having, to me anyway, to have an expert on the fish, to put it very <laughs> simply, but to understand fish as living beings who have their own way of existing within an ecosystem and that we are constantly interacting with marine life let's say more more specifically and that the marine life is constantly affecting us and we are constantly affecting that them and thinking of it as them like i think it's really important that we we do view the life forms as other people and how how we embody, and we actually do embody fish as part of it, That that teaches us about our existence as as animal bodies because our animal bodies are always interacting with all the other animal bodies.
1: Dr. Chowdhury also talked about the problem of anthropocentrism in our politics and our modes of living and the ways that performance and the critical scholarship she and her colleagues are doing together around theater, can offer up new ways of coexistence.
3: We are being made mad by this system, which forces us to ignore the fact that, you know, we experience other species and other systems and plants as related to us. We've been trained to think of them as somehow outside or separate or far away or not really us and they are the deepest part of us. They are, you know, they are what we cherish, you know, deep in our beings because they give us life. You know, it's it's this air and these trees that give us our lives and we at some level, these organisms know this. But we've been living in a system that you know, has kind of lied to us and made us believe that these things aren't real. They're dead, as we live on a dead earth. So the, the great challenge is how to wake up from that madness, how to uh, go both back to all the knowledges you know, of uh, earlier cultures, which knew very well that the world is alive, and then go forward to a future in which the world will be alive again and will be co-thriving with other species. You know, theatre's been very anthropocentric and very sociocentric. And I think to have a theatre that tells the human story, of course, because that's what we're interested in as humans, but in a more than human frame. So that's the that's actually the slogan of my a group that I founded, uh, called Climate Lens, which is a group of theatre makers and theatre educators who are interested in Treating climate not just as a problem to be solved or to be scared of, but as a sort of a- abiding dimension of our existence, of human life. And then h- how that-, that can come in and energize the stories we tell about ourselves.
1: So much of this episode has been written and recorded while quarantining for COVID-19. Especially amidst a pandemic, we must remember and recall the lives represented in the quant of data sets. Art and performance do this work to humanize data, connecting numbers to people and places we love. A statistic about sea level rise is one thing, but heading close to the shore and walking along it as if the sea has already overtaken the land brings data to life. And lively data is more actionable. It makes us feel, and it helps us to take action on climate. We have so much data feeding models forecasting climate futures. What's going to happen as climate change continues? Sensing with our bodies, whether through dance or theater, draws us in and calls us to action. We'd be so glad if you felt inspired to use your own body, your eyes, ears, nose, as climate sensors. Consider how you're experiencing climate change and share your climate story with us. Head on over to climatesensing.org to contribute. Or you can also visit the Making Sense Gallery to learn more about the projects featured in this episode. See you there.